Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Booth for Playmakers Podcast. I'm your host, Kelvin Hunt, editor of chopchat.com. Hope you guys are doing well. If this is your first time tuning in, we appreciate you giving us a listen. If you've been rocking with me for a while, welcome back to the show. Man, we're here. FSU football, fall camp on the way, less than a month away from the first game against Duquesne. A lot of interesting things going on regarding, you know, fall camp. Um, before fall camp, Mike Novell's press conference, um, things like that. Um, so we'll touch on those things. We'll touch on um, the Brock, Brock Glenn recruitment as well as just an observation I had um, regarding the potential of this team compared to a team from a few years ago. Uh, but uh, before we do that, um, we're going to shout out our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Um, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager in all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. But yeah, man, um, been really busy um, going back to five-day work weeks. We uh, work four-day work weeks during the summer for 10-hour days. I love having Fridays off to do what I want to do, but now it's back to the real world, I suppose. And um, But, you know, it's exciting times. Class is about to start at the school where I work in a couple of weeks, and so it all kind of ties together with uh, the start of you know, football and all that good stuff. So it's always an exciting time of the year. But, yeah, man, so I want to talk about Mike Norvell talking at you know, ACC kickoff, I guess it's been that long since I recorded last. And just speaking at ACC kickoff, uh, even Mike and even the players, you know, they spoke with a different type of confidence, it felt like to me. And it's confidence that should be warranted. If you've listened to me before, you know, I've been saying since forever that, you know, this team should be significantly better um, than last year, considering the experience they have returning at key positions. I mean, you have a lot of experience on both sides of the ball. If you look at the D-line, you got Robert Cooper, Fabian Lovett. Those guys have been here forever. Then you got Kalen DeLoach returning, DJ Lundy, who had an underrated year last year. I mean, he did struggle in coverage, but hey, DJ Lundy put in work, guys, considering, you know, he was really young. Um, and I think he tied for third on the team with like 69 tackles. He was right there with DeLoach. So you got him returning along with the addition of Tatum Bethune, who upgrades that room significantly. So, you you know, he brings a lot of experience. Then you have Akeem Dent, uh, Jamie Robinson, returning on the back end with Duke Cooper. Uh, the only question mark really on the defense is the field uh, cornerback position. And you, and you have several options there. 
so you know defense should be you know far and away the strength of the team and we'll tie that into uh, what we talk about later regarding a previous FSU team and when you look at the offense obviously Jordan Travis returns and then you have you know an experienced offensive line much bigger uh, physically imposing compared to past years you know the key to them is just finding that continuity those those five guys that work well together um and then establishing guys that can come in uh in rotations but they got enough bodies you know the challenge in the past has been you know finding enough quality bodies you know whenever injuries occur and and god forbid that happens this year but uh, they're in a better place to deal with that type of thing now compared to the last four or five years. I mean, this could be the best offensive line since probably 2015, 16, somewhere in there. So, and then at running back, you got, you know, Treshawn Ward, who's pretty proven. Uh, Trey Benson has a lot of tools and a lot of potential. And when you think about it, I mean, Mike Novell, it doesn't matter who he has back there. Um, they, those guys have been productive. For instance, in 2020, Mike Novell brought in a no-name guy named LaDamian Webb, and Webb was one of the you know the best options on offense that year. And we were we were like, you know, disappointed that he didn't come back for the 2021 season. You know, so I, I kind of look at Benson that way. As long as he stays healthy, um, Novell and those guys have an eye for running back talent, and I, I expect him to to put up some numbers. He even, he even indicated that, you know, his goal was to is hit a thousand yards this year. You know, his, his uh, idol was Cam Akers. They're from the same um, place uh, there in um, Mississippi. So, you know, and I did the numbers on it. If you, you look at the the article I wrote yesterday, you know, all he has to do is average like 14 carries per game. And if he averages, I think it was five yards per carry, over 13 games that would that would give him right at a thousand yards so it's doable uh, really just depends on how many carries Jordan Travis takes away but I think he'll probably run slightly less this year they'll probably look to for him to throw the ball a little bit more this year um, and then you have Treshawn Ward and Lawrence Toy Philly there so It'll be interesting to see how how that shakes out, but we'll we'll probably do some breakdowns and projections like we normally do um, as we get closer to the season there. Um, but the the other question marks would, on offense are obviously a wide receiver, but a lot of people are still down on the wide receiver group. I'm not one of those guys. Whenever whenever I look at the offense last year, you know the offense averaged almost 27 points per game last year. Would I mean, virtually no options at wide receiver. And when you look at the amount of talent brought in, you got you know Micah Pittman, who was a top 100 player. I think he was number 94 overall. Said this many times. Johnny Wilson was number 115 overall in his recruiting class. And obviously, if Winston Wright can get healthy, that that's definitely a huge boost to the offense. And then you got... Malik McLean, Ja'Kai Douglas, um, Pokey Wilson, you know, you, you got some options. And I really think that Pittman, Wilson, McLean, 
and Douglas are probably going to be your guys. And and then you can sprinkle some, some pokey in there here and there, but you know, it sounds like those guys have been playing pretty well at, at fall camp. And I know, um, Friday's practice, uh, I think they were, they were saying that the um, the wide receivers really showed out. And the, and I got to thinking about it. I was like, well, if Mike Novell is really smart, he has five-star wide receiver hiking Williams there for multiple days, and he's at practice. So you're damn sure better hope that the wide receivers are shining so you can kind of give him an example to point to and say, hey, look, you know that could be you next year. And I don't think it's any coincidence that – Malik McLean shine, Johnny Wilson shine, because those guys are, are are larger receivers that can make something happen. And so it's easy to say, hey, look, that, that could be you right there next year. So um I don't I don't think there was any coincidence that those guys had a good day um yesterday. But it's also good uh, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things that those guys are beginning to make some plays. And you still have several, you know, several more practices to go and um, but I think the I think the wide receiver group is is better than people are giving it credit for um, right now. I mean, there's there's talent there that you haven't had in a long time, and then you, when you couple that along with a, a better offensive line, which should give the receivers more time to get all open, and then when you look at an improved Jordan Travis, you know I don't see why those guys shouldn't produce at a higher clip than they did last year. Um, so, I mean, when I was thinking about it, uh, somebody posted a clip uh, on Twitter yesterday, and it was um, it was a throw in the flats to the running back, and um, and it was a poor throw. It was a poor uh, throw from AJ Duffy, and and I got to thinking about it, and I said, man, that is the exact same throw that Jordan Travis could not make in the Notre Notre Dame game last year. First game of the year, there were a couple passes in the flats that Jordan Travis like lobbed it over the receiver's head in the flat, you know, and then we saw, we saw that development throughout the year where, you know, he was able to make that throw. Um, and so when you look at it and you say he's got a whole nother, you know, spring camp under his belt, summer under his belt, and then he's going to have this fall camp under his belt. So whenever, you know, and he's healthy. And so the key to his development has been just availability. You know, he's been hurt a lot of times. And so he's missed a lot of practice, which, which has hindered his development. But, when you look at, you know, just being available and getting reps in, that's going to be big time. That's big time for his confidence. That's going to be big time for, you know, chemistry with the receivers and just trust in his offensive line. So there's a reason why Mike Novell is confident. I mean, you, you got you should be better. You should be better this year is why, you know, I've been on record uh, along with my, my homie um, uh, Adrian you know, Polk. Uh, you, you've seen me on his YouTube show. Uh, make sure you check him out. Uh, we're, we're saying eight wins. Eight wins is is doable. Eight wins should be the expectation. Um, you know, so um, Mike Novell sees all the work these guys have been putting in. Um, you know, look at the development uh, from strength and conditioning. Guys are changing their bodies. Guys look like, you know, grown, grown as men. And so. I think that's that's why all those things coupled together and Mike Novell's looking at it and you know, on top of he knows he has to win uh in twenty twenty two. And so I think that's why you see him talk about, you know, having having a better year. I mean he's he's like 
literally said he expects this team to be better than last year. And it sounds like by a good bit. Now, the qualifier is your team can be much better than it was the previous year, but it may not be reflective in the record. Now, we saw that last year. 2021 FSU would blow 2020 out of the water, but there was only a five, uh, two game improvement as far as wins. And when we go back to, say, Jimbo Fisher, when he first took over, the 2011 team was far and away better than the 2010 team, but they had one less win compared to 2010. You know, so injuries and you know who you play, when you play, that all matters into how things shake out. Um, but looking at the schedule, you know, I've written, if you've been on Chop Chat of late, I've written about um, the difficulty of the schedule when maybe it not being as difficult as some make it out to be. Um, when you look at ESPN's, um, their FPI, a football power index, they have some teams ranked really, really high, way higher than they should be. Um, it's kind of like that that SEC bias. Um, and they, like they they have LSU at number number ten, and so that affects you know the um, strength of schedule ranking that FSU has right now. Um, and right now, I think their ranking is uh, the thirtieth most difficult schedule. They have Miami at like number something crazy, number eleven or something like that, and you know. Those teams, Miami is a flawed team. LSU is a flawed team. Yes, they're talented, but they're flawed. And, you know, you have you have some teams that have – well, there's a lot of returning quarterbacks, but you faced all of them before. And then you have other factors like Boston College losing their entire offensive line. And – um, Syracuse not being able to pass the ball at all last year. And who else? NC State. NC State has a good quarterback, but their offense isn't really explosive. It's more, you know, death by a thousand cuts, so to speak. So, um, and FSU was in that game last year. So, um, we'll get into a game by game by game prediction as we get closer to the year, um, as we, you know, get through fall camp and some things start to sort themselves. Um, as far as, you know, who's going to be the starters on the offensive line or who who's projected to be and um, at running back and things like that. But um, the other thing, too, is, you know, the players were really confident. You know, Jamie Robinson, Fabian Lovett, Jordan Travis, those guys were pretty competent. I mean, Jamie was like, hey, you're going to know who FSU is after the LSU game. And, you know, I mean, he didn't I mean, he wasn't like, hey, we're going to we're going to win or whatever. But I mean, that's kind of insinuating like, hey, we don't sleep on us. We come into play. Well, you know, we got something to prove. And um, so that was big. Also, you got to look at, you know, this is the second year that we're really, really the first year um, that FSU has had a real offseason. I mean, they had spring practice last year and they had summer workouts last year, but you were still dealing with COVID and restrictions and and all that good stuff. Because you got to remember that. Um, FSU could not see recruits face to face until June of 2021 last year. So you still have that, that aspect of it, but you know, this is, this is kind of the first year that they haven't had to deal with, you know, just those limitations of, of COVID and, and, and things like that. And so I think you've kind of seen that development, um, increase, um, because of that. And so, the other thing that that Mike Novell knows is he had, you know, almost the entire team 
that that's going to be contributors uh, enrolled early. All of the all of the transfers were able, well, not all, the majority of the transfers enrolled in the spring, and so they've already gone through spring camp. They've already been here this summer. They know what the expectations are. It's given the coaches an opportunity to kind of see what their strengths and weaknesses are, where they, you know, where they can probably contribute. And, you know, that wasn't the case last year going into the season. Uh, and, and because of that, you know, coaches, you know, didn't quite know what each player could do. And so I think that's why you saw the struggles on defense when they were, you know, plugging and playing different guys at different positions because they just weren't, they were not sure what the best fit was. Um, and so that shouldn't be the case this year. They should they should know who's going to be where and know what the rotations are and, you know, just go from that aspect. But, you know, so who's been shining at fall camp? Someone asked that earlier. Um, offensively, I think, you know, Jordan Travis has, has looked fine. Um, the receivers, uh, McLean, Wilson, Pittman, those guys have, have stood out. Um, I think the offensively, you know, I, I heard Mike Novell say that Cam, uh, Cameron McDonald has been out for the first couple, few practices. And so that's given the, the younger tight ends an opportunity to get out there and shine. So it'll be interesting to see if anybody emerges at the tight end position. I'm, I'm not expecting too much, but I did I did write in one of my, my dark, dark horses could be Jackson West if he could just learn to catch the ball. I think the guy has tools. He just has to, you know, find that confidence to to make plays whenever the opportunities present themselves. Um, defensively, I think you know the defense is is far and away ahead of the offense as it should be uh, during fall camp. And uh, and again, I expect the defense to be the strength of the team if the offense can. And you know, and this was the case last year when uh, in the first four games when FSU started zero and four. You know, I was one of the very few vocal minorities talking about you know. I mean, yeah, the defense wasn't wasn't elite. It wasn't great. It wasn't playing at the level that they were, you know, later in the season. But at the same time, uh, FSU could have easily avoided an 0-4 start if they hadn't been playing the games and doing all the the dumb stuff on offense that they were doing in the first few games. Um, but, you know, moving forward, you know, the defense, the defense is going to be going to be the strength of the team you have way too much experience um and a lot of talent i mean there's a lot of blue chip guys on that on that defense and you have depth now you know last year you didn't really have any proven depth on the defensive line um now you have that and i guess the only question mark would be at defensive end but you got to look at putting dennis briggs out there I think you kind of know what you're going to get from him as long as he's healthy. The, the other question mark is, will you find enough production from Jared Verse, Derek McClendon? Um, oh, Patrick Plate, Patrick Payton is one guy that um, that you know I've heard flashed a few times at um, defensive end. So they're going to need him, especially on on pass rushing downs. Um, but this is one thing I was thinking about as far as who who this team could be similar. Uh, is in regarding past FSU teams. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, what's a team that, you know, the defense carried them, the offense was serviceable, and they won a lot of games. And and what I kept coming back to was the 2015 team. Now, that team won 10 games. I do not expect 
this 2022 team to win 10 games. So let me get out of the way. Right. But whenever you look at whenever you look at the 2015 team, now obviously I think that team, well, we know that team has more top end talent overall than this 2022 team. I mean, you had Dalvin Cook, Jalen Ramsey, Demarcus Walker, Derwin James, Travis Rudolph. Um, you know, so I want you know I want to put that out there as far as some context. But whenever you look at the overall numbers from what that 2015 team presented, and then you kind of look at what the 2021 team did last year, and then you account for the experience and, and talent acquired and the continuity. And I mean, there, there are some similarities that, that kind of present themselves. And so for instance, the 2015 team averaged 31 points per game that year. And last year, FSU's offense Average twenty seven point six points per game, so you look, you're talking about four points per game difference. Uh, twenty fifteen, they averaged five point one five yards per rush. The twenty twenty one team averaged four point seven eight yards per rush. The twenty fifteen team averaged six point five three yards per play. Uh, last year, they averaged five point seven nine yards per play, and that is including. Whenever Mackenzie Milton was out there, which definitely affects the numbers. Third down conversions, 2015, they converted 38.13% uh, of the time. Last year, they converted third downs 34, basically 35% of the time. Red zone success in 2015, FSU scored 89% of the time in the red zone. They scored touchdowns on 56% of those opportunities. Last year, FSU had a red zone success of 90.2% and scored touchdowns 73% of the time when they were in the red zone. So, better than 2015. Defensively, um, FSU allowed 17 points per game in 2015. Last year, they allowed 26.5 points per game, but whenever I went back and took out the first four games, that uh, that number decreased to like 20, 22, 23, um, I think it was. Then 2015 defensively allowed 3.83 yards per rush. Last year, the run defense was actually better. They allowed 3.64 yards per rush. Um, defensively, they allowed 4.68 yards uh, per play in 2015. Last year, they allowed 5.19 yards per play. And again, whenever you took out the first four games, that number decreased to under five yards per play for the 2021 defense. Defensively, and this is this is kind of surprising to me, the 2015 defense allowed third down conversions at a 39.23% clip. And so I guess that's where the third and Kelly came into play. And continued. Then last year, um, FSU allowed the uh, offenses to convert third downs at a 41% clip. And again, after the uh, first four games, that number went down to about 36, 37%. So right there in the ballpark with 2015. 
Defensively, uh, 2015, the defense had a red zone success of 82.86, and they allowed touchdowns 48.5% of the time. So that, that was really good. Defensively last year, they had a, a red zone success rate of uh, or percentage of 70.59. So they either allowed you to get in the red zone and got a stop um, or you scored a touchdown because they allowed touchdowns 61.76% of the time, which isn't terrible, but it wasn't as good as 2015. Then when you look at advanced stats, FSU had the number 28 offense and the number 18 defense in 2015. Last season saw the Noles rank number 45 offensively and number 43 defensively. And those stats are according to BCF Toys. Um, you've heard me use that stat before um, with Brian uh, Freemu. So when you look at those numbers, you say, okay, FSU made a significant jump from 2020 to 2021, right? And then you say, okay, well, they have all this experience coming back. You know, this team is more talented than last year. Shouldn't they be able to make that jump closer to what 2015 was? And you say, okay, can FSU have a top 30 offense? The 2015 offense was number 28, according to event stats. Can FSU have a, let's say, can they have a top 30 offense? Probably. I mean, I, I would I would think so. You know, if uh, Joe and Travis stays healthy. I mean, they were at number 45 last year. And then you say, well, defensively, can they become a top 25 defense? They finished number 43 last year. And again, those that, that ranking, that 43 ranking, includes the first four games where they looked awful out there overall with busted assignments and everything like that. So you, when you look at it from that perspective, you know, you say, well, man, you know, they don't have the top-end talent that FSU had in 2015, but as a whole, working as a unit together and talent overall, I mean – Man, it's doable. It's doable. Now, the biggest difference is the schedule that FSU plays in 2022 is going to be different from the aspect that the offenses they face will be better than they were in 2015. Because I remember in 2015 um, writing about it that the offenses – I was arguing that one reason the FSU defense was as good as it was was because they um, the offenses that they faced were not very good, and I cannot remember the article because um, I wasn't even I wasn't even writing about FSU back then. But I was I was following, but I wasn't writing. But I remember doing some research on my own and kind of looking at the numbers, and and it and it kind of was true that you know FSU didn't really face uh, some any great offenses that year um which kind of kind of helped the number so to speak but i mean you got you know malik coming cunningham returning to uh, louisville you got uh leary at nc state you have uh, syracuse's quarterback is returning although he's not very good uh, phil jerkovich is returning to boston college who i still think is overrated i said it last year 
I'll continue to say that he lost his entire offensive line. Uh, he has uh, Zay Flowers at wide receiver. Other than that, that's their entire offense. And Florida has Richardson, you know, but he's still largely unproven there. And then you have, and I'm just going off the top of my head here. And then you have, uh, of course, Clemson. We don't, you know, is Clemson going to be as bad as they were on offense last year? I doubt it. I think they're going to be better. They seem to kind of figure some things out as the season went on. So you got to think they'll be better than they were um, last year. Um, and then you have LSU. I know they still have some questions at quarterback, but you'll you'll get them earlier in the season. And so, you know, they, they should be still working out some kinks on offense. And so you, you have that advantage of, um, of catching them early. Wake Forest returns Sam Hartman and they return a lot of, a lot of guys on offense. So that offense should be elite again. Uh, Georgia tech was awful last year and they probably should continue to be awful. Miami, they have been Dyke, but I, I don't know, man. I'm not. I, I think Miami. I think Miami is going to be. I don't think they're going to be as good on offense as they were last year um, for a couple of reasons. And obviously, I'll touch on this more as we get into Miami week. But you got a new offensive coordinator. For one, Crystal Ball always seems to to have his hand in that cookie jar. And uh, I mean, for, for Christ's sake, I mean, he had, you know, a bear out there in Oregon and, and, you know, they, they, they were not great offensively. Then you have Van Dyke, you know, he kind of came on the scene last year and nobody has seen him, you know, didn't have any footage of him. Now that won't be the case. You, you know, teams have had an entire year to look at, you know, several games of footage now. And so I think that's going to be a factor, you know, Teams will make an adjustment. Um, Miami lost their top two receivers last year. I mean, they they went into the portal and tried to get some guys, but you know, still they they lost they lost um, a lot as far as production from the wide receiver position. Um, offensively, I think they'll probably try to be more play action. The problem with that is they can't they couldn't run the ball worth crap last year, I, I, and I don't know if that'll be the case. This year, I don't think they're going to be a great running team. So if you can't run the ball, play action is not going to be effective. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, so yeah, you know, looking at it, you have a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, you have a lot of uh, returning quarterbacks. But, I mean, FSU played most of these guys last year. They faced Hartman. They faced Jerkovich. They faced Cunningham. They faced Van Dyke. They faced Ugole. They faced a guy from Syracuse. The big guy. Um, they faced Richardson from Florida last year. I mean, they faced these guys already, you know. So um, the schedule is tough. I'm not quite sure is as tough as we we make it out to be. Now, again, I'm not saying that we're going to make you know win ten games or anything like that, but I think FSU is in a position to to surprise some people. So you know. You know, they're going to need a good bounce here or there. They're going to need some good injury luck. And by God, FSU is due for those things to take place. So we'll see. Um, but let's see. I am, 
man, I'm 31 minutes into this thing. Okay. So the last thing I want to touch on is the Brock Glenn recruiting situation. So, you know, FSU was, you know, had Chris Parson uh, committed, of course, Chris Parson, excuse me, Chris Parson um, kind of acted crazy on social media whenever Dante Moore visited and acted crazy for no reason whatsoever. So you have that. And then, of course, FSU communicates they want to take two quarterbacks, and he doesn't like that. FSU offers two new quarterbacks, and Parsons starts moving differently. Long story short, the writing was on the wall, and Parsons uh, decommitted. And people can probably argue, if, you know, that FSU had a guy, should have kept a guy, shouldn't have you know, try to recruit somebody else. But I can tell you just from listening to Parsons dad on that, on that spaces that day, that that was going to be a headache. And again, you know, it was like, he was trying to bully the staff and I'm like, your, your son's a good, he's a good developmental piece, but he's not generational. I mean, he's not, he's not James Winston or anything like that. And it's probably going to be a while before he can contribute. And so, uh, and again, FSU needs depth at the quarterback position. And, um, you know, FSU obviously didn't stop recruiting Brock Glenn. And seemed to be in a really good position for Brock Glenn. You know, you had a lot of crystal balls rolling in. And again, those are not the end-all, be-all. But they're usually a good you know indication of things for the most part. But as of late, we've seen all those crystal balls flip towards Ohio State. And so now you have the situation where FSU could um, miss on Chris Parson and Brock Glenn. And from a optic standpoint, that is a terrible look. Um, you know, I'm sure people that don't follow the team closely will look at it as a, a black eye. And, and, you know, I mean, it is, it's a bad, it's a bad optic, but at the same time, you have to look at it from a realistic standpoint. You say, okay, and and this is all provided. I'm recording this before Brock Glenn announces at four o'clock, you know, my God, he, he could surprise everybody and pick FSU. And if he does, boom, you know, we got a guy, you can avoid all the backlash and whatever, but I'm going with that. You know, the trend is he's going to go to Ohio state. So if that's the case, you you got to look at it this way. Neither Chris Parson or Brock Glenn were going to make any sort of impact in year one. Okay. You already have AJ Duffy who could potentially redshirt this year. He could get some playing time. And you got to think with Jordan Travis, if Jordan Travis leaves, after this year, then it's going to be the A.J. Duffy show more than likely as a redshirt freshman, possibly or not. And when I look at it, you say, OK, well, A.J. Duffy went to IMG. So did DeAndre Francois. Both were rated similar coming out of high school, although A.J. Duffy's stats were better. And I think A.J. Duffy has a better. I think he's farther along as far as like processing, being able to process information make the throws and, and all that good stuff. And and so we saw 
um, Andre Fr- DeAndre Francois have a good Richard freshman season in 2016 with Jimbo Fisher. Granted, he had Dalvin Cook in the backfield, which was a major factor in that team's success also. But I think with a year under his belt, Duffy could be, you know, could be serviceable. I don't, I don't think he'll be terrible. And so you got to say, okay, well, would would Parson or Glenn be able to surpass Duffy after one year at FSU? And the answer is probably not. Okay. FSU already has a 2024 prospect that looks to have more potential overall than either Parson or Glenn in uh, Luke Crumminhawk. Okay. And so if they were to, if either of them guys or both of those guys were to sign with FSU this year, you got to say, okay. And then, you know, if FSU holds on to Crumminhawk, we've, you know, we've seen we've seen how quarterback recruiting has gone for FSU, but um, let's just assume he he sticks. You know, it could be a case to where either Glenn or Parson never saw the field at FSU because you have Duffy there, and then you have Cromwellhawk behind him. That that would be a that would be a real possibility, right? And so. When you look at Glenn, you say, okay, well, if we were to get Glenn, and then obviously we probably would need to go to the transfer portal to get a guy. Again, that could impact Glenn's ability to get on the field because more than likely you're going to get a, a transfer with some experience. More than likely. So I'm saying all that to say this. Yes, it is a bad look from an optic standpoint. You know, it 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 kind of seems, you know, to be you know, FSU missed on another recruit or whatever, and they, I mean they did, but at the same time, you got to say, well, how 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 much production was FSU going to get from that scholarship? Whether you give it to Parson or Glenn, because you you won't going to get both of them, I guess. But how much production was that scholarship going to be worth? In the grand scheme of things, probably not that much. So you could look at it this way and say, well, that scholarship could go to another, you know, wide receiver or offensive lineman, pass rusher, somewhere where you're more than likely going to get some production. So it's not the end of the world. Um, we'll see, we'll see, um, if FSU takes another quarterback, I'm sure they'll probably, probably take a quarterback, uh, in this recruiting class. It looks like they have some guys that are on campus right now that they're evaluating. And I've looked at some of the, some of the, the, the film and they're not, they're not terrible. I mean, they're projects just like Glenn and Parson would be, um, and, you know, and FSU does need depth. So, It'll be interesting to see, you know, how things shake out. Um, you know, I've mentioned it before. You know, they could possibly reach out to the Miami commit, Emory Williams. I think they have some ties there. They haven't offered him yet. So um, we'll see. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not up in arms about quarterback recruiting because you have Duffy. Getting Duffy to stick last year despite the 5-7 and seven record could prove to be the thing that saved it saves Mike Norvell, uh, coupled with, you know, how this year goes, obviously. Um, so I'm not going to spend time worrying about 
um, recruits that won't get on the field probably until 2025. I would suggest that you do the same. And hopefully FSU will get some um, some momentum out of this recruiting weekend. You got uh, the linebacker from Oregon, uh, Blake Nicholson, on campus. Uh, Hakeem Williams on campus. Jalen Brown's on campus. A lot of great players. Now I don't I don't expect the wide receivers to 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 commit or anything, but I would I would keep an eye on Nicholson possibly if they pop if they get him that would be a great get, a huge need. The best linebacker they have committed um since uh man fsu hadn't had a four-star linebacker committed since what dix stephen dix i think that was 20 what 20 2020 um or, or the loach either one of i know both of those guys were four stars but uh since those two guys in whatever year it was um and then you know we'll see how how everything else shakes out but um, feel really good about going into the season. I think I think this team's gonna be gonna be um better than last year by, by a good bit. Um uh, it just depends on you know how things start the season. I could see you know, I could it's really gonna go down. I I, I wrote um a piece on Chop Chat and go back a couple weeks ago and I said the five most important games on the schedule. And that LSU Louisville those two games right there, FSU can't go zero and two in those games. They can't. They gotta win. They gotta go at least one and one in that stretch. You know, if they beat LSU, you gotta think their chances of beating Louisville probably increase considerably. You know, they have confidence. They have a week to prepare for L- uh, for Louisville. You go from there. If they lose to LSU. You know, it just depends on how that game goes, I guess. But then you, at least you still have the week to prepare for Louisville. Um, but it is a road game and it's at night. And so FSU has to split those two games. One and one at the worst. They cannot go 0-2 um, in that stretch. So I think that is going to tell you everything you need to know about this team, how they go and the, what their record is after the first three games. Obviously, they, they'll beat Duquesne. Um, but if they can come out of that, uh, two and one at the worst, preferably three and no, but two and one at the worst, then I, um, I think we can go ahead and write it down and this team will probably win eight games. Okay. But thanks again for tuning in guys. I really appreciate your support. Um, I did notice we got one more five-star review, um, recently. So if you have not had a chance to, um, Rate the podcast if you uh, were entertained or got some information or good insight. We would appreciate that if you uh, could uh, rate us five stars on whatever platform you listen on. Uh, make sure you check out um, betterline.ag for all of your betting needs. And um, we'll look forward to talking to you guys soon. Go Nose. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.